Hello and welcome to episode 56 of When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery from chronic diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, heart disease, multiple sclerosis, many forms of cancers. Oh, ugh, there's just so many. Um, food addiction, we've got polycystic ovarian syndrome, we've got asthma, eczema, psoriasis, ah, it just goes on and on. Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. It's every week a new incredible story of recovery and this week is no exception. I was so lucky to interview Tim Kaufman from Fat Man Rants on social media. He is just I'm lost. I'm lost for words, actually. It was so great to meet Tim and to hear his story. Uh, obviously, I'd followed him and seen him on social media and I'd read his story on the Forks Over Knives success stories and it was even better hearing it, hearing it now in person. And I, I don't want to give too much of an introduction to Tim. He has... All I will say is that he has radically transformed his health and life and I'm going to let him tell you the story himself. So thank you for listening and please make sure you're going on a long drive or a long run or a long workout when you're listening to this episode because you're not going to want to turn it off because it is, ah, anyway, it's so good. You're not going to want to turn it off. So Set your, drive somewhere far away. <laughs> it goes for an hour and 18 minutes. I'll see you all at the end. Bye. Hello, Tim, and welcome to the show. Hi, Corinne, and thank you so much for having me. Ah, oh, no, I'm so grateful to have you come on the show. I obviously saw you over at Forks Over Knives, your story, and I thought I definitely want to share this story on the podcast. So, I've obviously given you a bit of an introduction already, but could you please just just start from the start of your story? Not not maybe your birth date, <laughs> but you could start from wherever. Yeah, so I I live like kind of kind of in a rural place. Like um, it's it's kind of in the country, but not like crazy like in the country. But so like where I live, there's a ton of farms around, and so when I was younger. Um, I'm 45 now, but when I was a, a teenager in high school, um, everyone worked on the farm and that's kind of what we did. And so that's what I did. I worked on a dairy farm across the street, um, kind of a, kind of a medium sized farm, like 75 cows or whatever. And, um, so it obviously it was very manual labor and, but weird things were happening to me. Like I would throw a bale of hay and like my wrist would kind of come off my arm and like, I'd be walking, you know, and like through a field or something. And I would kept twisting my ankles. Um, just, I thought I was really like clumsy and I always was spraining stuff and always, you know, ACE bandages and uh, that kind of thing. Um, and as I got older into, you know, my late teens, I had to get a better job. So I went into a factory and when I started working over my head, um, I would reach up for stuff. And my shoulder would dislocate. So I knew that wasn't just being klutzy, like something was wrong. Um, so it got so bad, it got to the point where I would actually sneeze and my shoulder would actually just like pop out of me. And I'd have to like put it back in um, the socket. And so, you know, I don't even know if I was 20 yet. If I was, I must have just turned 20. And I went to the doctor and I'm like, something's wrong. 
Um, so they took some tests. They did an MRI, and um, he said, "Well, you need surgery." So the surgery was called an arthroplasty, and basically they pull like all the tendons and ligaments out, and then kind of fold them over each other, and then stitch them back together. So they kind of like tighten up the strings in there. And when they got in there, they everything was really like extra stretchy. It was like bubble gum. So they were like pulling on stuff and it just kept stretching. And so um, they were in there, I think for like three hours, the surgery took like three times longer than it should have. And I was diagnosed with this disease called Allerstanlos syndrome. Um, and basically the, the collagen, like the glue in my body, um, you know, has a, a genetic mess up that it's super stretchy. So like all my joints, like dislocate. I'm very hypermobile. Um, <clears throat> so at any rate, that kind of started this uh, protocol to, you know, I'm young and I was loaded with arthritis already. Um, they actually, my knees were to the point um, in my early 20s that they needed to be replaced, um, but the doctors wouldn't replace them because there's nothing to hold them together. Um, so long story short, I'm going to speed up really fast here. Um, on the way out of the hospital, um, I was given some painkillers and just, you know, hydrocodone, Lortabs, and um, I had never taken any narcotics before. And I can remember taking them and they felt super good. Um, it kind of numbed my whole body, you know, it was very effective. And um, that was like, I started that in my early 20s when I got out of the hospital. And, you know, through the years, um, we kept moving up the dosage. It didn't take long. I'd build up a tolerance. Um, then we'd up the dosage. And then finally, um, we were actually getting special order medicine. So there wasn't as much acetaminophen in it because so it wouldn't hurt my kidneys. Um, and then from there, it was a typical, you know, go to um, um, like Percocets and then Oxycontin. And, and then finally, um, the doctor says, well, if we can't manage the pain like this, we're going to put you on this drug called fentanyl. And at the time, I had never heard of fentanyl. It wasn't like in the news. It wasn't a thing. This is, you know, 15 years ago. And so I was on a transdermal patch, which basically I had a 24 hours, you know, seven days a week drip of fentanyl into my body. But at the same time, I hadn't given up the painkillers, the tablets either. Um, and I, I was just always, always in pain. And um, it got to the point where as, you know, as I got older, the pain got worse. And then I started, I just kept taking more and more pain medicine. So you're tired. Um, and I started eating like really, really poorly. So by this time we had a family going and we were super busy. So I would eat fast food like three to four times every single day. Every day of my life, I was at a fast food place. And then for dinner, um, we always had like pizza and chicken wings um, and we never, ever cooked at home. We'd go out to eat a lot. <clears throat> but, you know, the fast food, it sounds crazy, but the fast food was kind of like really similar to the opioids. Um, you know, I would get in, in the drive through and I get kind of like get that really, you know, happy feeling that I'm getting my fast food and I would eat it and it would taste super, super good. And um, then all of a sudden it was gone and the wrappers were on you know, the floor of my truck and I feel really guilty. And then the cycle would start the next day, just like the drugs. Um, I was having a lot of trouble sleeping from the, the pain. I mean, chronic pain is terrible. Like, like, um, you know, the, the surgery you had was really bad, 
um, but it gets better and you feel better, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like chronic pain, it just, when you wake up, it's there. When you go to bed, it's just, there's never, you don't get a break. And I think really that's what I was looking for is to get a break. Um, and I can remember like I went for a string of nights without sleeping and, you know, people know what it's like to not sleep through the night. You're tired. And if you do it two nights, you're, you know, tired and kind of cranky. Um, but when you get into five and six nights without sleeping, like it messes with your head so bad. Um, and then I did something like, um, that I never thought I would ever, ever do because I grew up in a home. Um, there was never alcohol in our house. I wasn't a drinker. I didn't go out partying. Um, but I stopped on the way home. I just wanted to sleep through the night and I picked up a bottle of vodka and, um, that was probably the fastest slope that I had ever been down. Cause I really had nothing to compare it to. Um, but I'll just take it to, you know, at my very worst. Um, and this was not like a once in a while thing. It wasn't a binge. This was my nightly routine. Um, I would have a max dose of fentanyl. And like right before bed, I'd take 15 to 20 painkillers and they were really high powered painkillers. And then I would chase it down with an entire liter of vodka every single night of my life. That's what I did. For how many years? Um, for, for quite a few years, actually. And I had got to the point where my kidneys would shut down for a couple of days and I knew what was going on, but I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. Um, and you know, I, I, the, my, my life turned into, you know, do as little as I possibly could and move as little as I possibly could and just try to escape and just try to go to bed. Just, and that was my life. And, um, you know, I, I think it's easy. And by that time, um, so about the time I was about 38, um, I went into the doctor's office and they couldn't weigh me anymore. Um, cause I was over 400. So I don't know how much over 400 I was, but so that was my worst. And, you know, I was on crutches and canes and, you know, always in braces. I had custom braces made up. Um, I was in really, really bad shape. And honestly, like there were a lot of nights that I went to bed, not knowing if I would wake up. And I don't think I was suicidal, but I don't know really if I cared if I woke up. I was just I was just tired. You know, I had two kids and a wife that loved me, but I just like, I was tired. I just, I couldn't do it anymore, you know? So that's where I was like at my worst. And I, and I think, I think more like the physical part is kind of, it's kind of easier to explain to people because, you know, to, to walk around with 400 pounds, like just put the balance of what, you know, the 400 on your back and like go upstairs and stuff. And I think like, that's kind of easy for people to get like, you know, however you want to do it, feed bags, bags of dog food, whatever you want to think of it as. Um, walking upstairs is a chore. You know, just getting out of a chair is like a big deal. You'd have to rock to get momentum. Um, but what I always have trouble, you know, conveying is how that felt emotionally. Um, you know, I was a big, strong kid. You know, like I say, off the farm, I was a big, tough guy. And, you know, I was supposed to take care of my wife. We were high school sweethearts. You know, that was our dream, the white picket fence and, you know, me taking care of her and carrying her through the threshold. But somehow I ended up on the couch with my feet up, ice on my knees. Well, she was out mowing the lawn trying to juggle two toddlers. And that hurt. You know, that, that wasn't how it was supposed to be. You know, I couldn't be a good dad. I couldn't be a good husband. 
Um, I was really like good at nothing except trying to pass out. So that's where I was. That was uh, not such a happy place. Oh, I can't even begin to imagine that for you. Like, I don't even know how you... I'm amazed to see you now, and I, obviously you can't see who, if you're listening, you can't see Tim now, but to see, you know, you'll see him on his on the show notes. But like to see you now and to think of you in that much pain and, and carrying that much e- excess weight on your body and thinking about how, like I, I weighed over a, over 100 kilos, which I don't know what that is, about, probably about 200 pounds, my heaviest. I think it's about half pounds and kilos, I think. But it's it, that was hard enough. So imagine doubling that and just thinking about doing everyday stuff and having two small toddlers as well. Oh, I just, my heart goes out to you. And it wasn't like just a weight. Like um, this film company interviewed my doctor uh, two years ago. And he's like, the weight was a whole separate thing. With the Ehlers-Danlos, I mean, my joints are all like really loose. Um, so... You know, I had that to begin with, and then you add the weight on top of it. And it was just like, it was a recipe for disaster. Like, it really was. Um, you know, my, my doctor even said in one of the films, he's like, every time he saw me come in the office, like I saw him, you know, at, at the very least every 30 days. And he would peek out the door, and he thought it was amazing that I was still walking and not in a wheelchair. I, mean, I didn't walk really well, but I, I refused to go in a wheelchair. I just wouldn't do it. Wow. So with the Alice Danlos, sorry, Alice Dan. Alice Danlos, yeah. Alice Danlos, would with that much weight, would you, were you dislocate, like dislocating joints constantly, like just trying to walk? Yeah, yeah. And even without the weight now, I kind of still am. I don't know, like, like everything. Oh. Kind of- <laughs> <laughs> he's he's moving his thumb right now. Wow. Yeah, everything is like super stretchy. So. Wow. Oh my gosh. So at that point when you were at 400 pounds and the doctors couldn't weigh you anymore and your joints, you know, like with all that going on and your pain, the constant pain and the painkillers and all that stuff, like how, what was the thing that tipped you into, what was the moment that tipped you into looking elsewhere for an answer? Well, I think, you know, like everyone wants that thing. And I wish I had that thing. I wish I had <laughs> that like switch that went, yeah. but it kind of didn't work like that for me. I, I, I think um, I kind of accepted where I was. I kind of like this was it. I mean, I had this routine, um, you know, the first Tuesday of every month, I'd go get my knees um, drained. Like every single month, they'd freeze my kneecaps, go in there with a needle, pull all the garbage out of it. And it's like, you know, then I had my pain management doctor, like just about, you know, ever, you know, so two weeks for my rheumatoid doctor, two weeks for my, you know, primary care, two weeks for my pain management. And it's just like, it became this like thing that it was just my life. That's what we did. Um, you know, wait until like the day uh, you can go get your medicine. Um, and I don't like, I don't, I don't really think that I was thinking about what was going to happen next year. You know, I wasn't thinking that far. All I was thinking about is how I could get my next sleep or my next way to, like, check out, like, my next escape. I didn't think that far ahead. Um, But one of the things, so I kind of think of it like dominoes tipping over rather than just this big light switch. But um, like I said before, 
my wife and I got married like really young. We were high school sweethearts, you know, ninth grade sweethearts. And uh, we've actually, we just celebrated our 25th anniversary in August. Congratulations. Thanks. So, um, so we kind of grew up together and like, I was super close to her parents. She was super close to mine and her mom, um, kind of got like a cold flu thing and she just, it wasn't getting better. It was just like nagging. And so we finally convinced her to go to the doctor and like the doctor knew they took some blood work and right away they knew something was wrong and she was diagnosed with leukemia. And this lady was, she was the most amazing lady. Like she was just, she just loved the life. She was a hardworking lady and um, she was always so happy. And you know, that was like, that was a huge deal for us. Like it just hit us like a ton of bricks. And <clears throat> what happened is instead of me, like I, it kind of broke that pattern instead of me coming home as soon as I can to kind of check out on the couch. Um, we have this cancer facility by us and, you know, she was staying, there was a huge, you know, really, you know, um, very renowned cancer place. So it's very big too. Um, but life became like, who's going to go stay with mom tonight or who's going to, you know, take the kids up to visit and, you know, going in there really like tipped my first domino. And, um, I still remember walking up to her bed and she was so tired cause she was getting so many transfusions and then her counts would, you know, her counts would go way down. Um, and I remember like she opened her eyes really slow one night and she goes, how's your knee? And it just like crushed me. Like she's trying to survive till tomorrow and she's worried about my knee. And, you know, it shows you what kind of person that she is. But at the same time, I remember just walking out of there feeling like such an idiot because I spent my whole life complaining about everything that was wrong with me. Um, and I never stopped to think what's good. Um, and one of the things that night that hit me that I get to walk out of that hospital and she doesn't. And, you know, my knees were destroyed, but I still had legs. And there were people that were literally like that day were getting their legs amputated from tumors. And I think like that domino was kind of finding gratitude first. Like that was the first thing that happened. You know, instead of being this like self pity, like, woe is me. I'm like, I'm walking out. I have no chemo going through my veins and I have a lot of stuff wrong. But I don't have to worry, you know, if, you know, when my next stem cells are coming. So um, moving along, my so we're kind of dealing with that. And um, obviously that like flipped our lives upside down. Um, and then shortly after that, we get a phone call. It was very similar. My father, you know, had a cold and they thought he had pneumonia. So he went in for a chest X-ray and um the chest x-ray showed that he was just loaded with stage four kidney cancer that had metastasized and went through his whole body. And my father was my best friend in the world. I mean, he was my best buddy. We did everything together, you know, he, you know, hunting and fishing, and he taught me how to fix cars and build stuff. Um, and, you know, we worked together for a while at the same job, you know, as machinists and tool and die makers. And, you know, he was my everything in the whole world. And the doctors gave him, six months to live and um he made it six weeks to the day so he didn't have too long to fight and um that was another big you know domino that tipped i can remember it kind of it kind of really like enforced that like we are on borrowed time 
And um, we got to think about that. Like, we're not here forever. And shortly after that, um, Heather's mom lost her battle with cancer. It went from she had leukemia, then it turned into lymphoma, then it turned into a brain tumor. Um, and then she lost her fight. And um, yeah, that really that really flipped our world upside down. Wow. I'm so sorry. That's awful. Yeah, it was uh, it was everything at once. You know, it was a big it was a big upset. But I think the biggest domino that tipped for me was shortly after that um, we because like you, it's just something you never think of, like planning a funeral brunch. Like, you know, no one thinks about that until you have to do it. And then it's like like you're sitting down with a funeral director and it's like you get this huge dose of reality, you know. And I remember like things were kind of trying to get back to normal. You know, obviously the pain's still super raw. And I couldn't get my socks and shoes on in the morning, um, which happened quite often. And I can remember this one morning, Heather put my socks and shoes on me. And I remember looking at her thinking, I'm the next one. She's going to have to do this like really soon for me. And she's got two little kids. And like, what's that going to look like? You know, she's going to go through her third funeral Um, because it was pretty I was in really bad shape. I was in bad enough shape. Um, I used to set the remote on my chest when I was laying down and my heart was cranking so hard that it would actually get air. You could see space underneath the remote every time my heart beat. Like that's how hard my heart was beating. Um, like I used to hear it. I used to like feel it in my eyes. I mean, I was on uh, two different blood pressure medicines for that and it still didn't touch it. But, you know, I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be long until she was burying me. So literally um, I was not out to get healthy. I was not out to lose. I was literally out to put space between funerals because I knew like I knew I had a buddy ask me like a couple weeks before that um, I was actually trying to get pain meds out of him. And he's like, where is this going to end? And I know I, no one ever asked me that before. And I really like I think burying my dad and then having my friend ask me, where is this going to end it? Like, really, it really hit me. And it wasn't even for me. Um, it was that Heather'd have to go through all that again. So yeah, so I know this. Sorry, this is like really gloomy. No, it should be. Through. I think that the gloom. I, not that I'm. It's. I think it's important because even though it is gloomy, I think a lot of us go through life not realizing that we're on borrowed time. And I know for me, my brother, my brother dying when I was twenty five. That space between funerals, when you said that, like, I really understood because for me it was it was different, but my mum had been caring for my brother for 30 years when he died and he was sick his whole life. And then when I got, so I got diagnosed the year before my brother passed away with multiple sclerosis and I thought, I, I, I can't put her through this for the rest of her life. You know, she can't have me to care for now for the rest of her life. So... You saying that really resonates with me because I remember thinking I have to be okay for mum and dad because they're just getting their first break from caring for a really sick child and then burying them to have to start all over again with me. My brother said to me, just wait, I'm going to die soon. Just wait until you start getting sick because mum and dad need 
they can't do both of us at the same time. You know, you have to be okay until I die. And I just remember him saying that and thinking, you know, no, <laughs> like I can't, I can't do this, yeah. do this to them. And so, no, you're saying, I think a lot of people, we do think that we'll think about those things or never, hopefully, but they, they happen. And then, and thinking about them now is important. I think it's important to think about the gloomy stuff sometimes now so that we can say, okay, well, I, I'm listening to Tim, listening to your story and thinking, you know, I would hate for my husband, you know, my parents are retired. Both our parents are retired. And if both our parents, my dad's had prostate cancer at the moment, you know, if both our parents died back to back, and then I was sick as well. It's just a horrible, it's just, you can't, you can't fathom how horrible that would be for your partner to deal with. And so I think it's, I think it's a very important thing to, to talk about because this is a real life. What happened to you is yeah. awful, but it is a real, a real possibility for all of us to lose our parents back to back. Like there's no promise that we're not going to. Right. And, you know, I think like, I think, we can't really do much about that, but what we can do is the flip side of that is realize that like we're here and we still have an opportunity to, you know, treat life as precious as we should treat it. And for me, that meant taking care of myself. Um, and that's all I can do, like all I can do because I can't get them back. Right. So what I can do is wake up in the morning and recognize that I have been blessed with a huge gift just to get out of bed. Um, and that's a big deal to me now. And it never used to because we just take that for granted. So, yeah. So moving on, um, I figured, you know, I was watching, I went online and I'm looking at all these different options. And I, the best option that I found was bariatric surgery. Cause that, that was like my whole, like my whole life, like my family, everyone was always trying to lose weight. And I watched the whole yo-yo thing go on all the time, but bariatric surgery made a lot of sense to me because it was fast. It was something that I could just like get the operation and be done. And so I called a company here in Buffalo and um, I got a big packet in the mail, filled out all the paperwork, sent it back. Um, I went to a couple like um, like classes on it, like group classes, um, and I was all set to go. And the only thing that I had to do was get my doctor, my primary doctor, to sign off on it, which should have been like a no-brainer for him. But when I went in there, they took my blood pressure, and it was 255 over 115, and he was freaking out. Um, and I remember they couldn't fit. They they have like two cuffs. They had the normal cuff. And then they, I had the extra large one and the extra large cuff wouldn't hardly fit around my arm anymore. Um, but finally, after they took it a couple of times, they all like agreed that it was that high. And I think what he was more concerned with was my heart rate. My resting heart rate was 125. And he was freaked out about that, too. So um, he actually wanted to put me in the hospital, but I kind of bargained with him, kind of manipulated him. And I just like laid on the examination table till my heart rate came down to like 110. And then I said, please just let me go home. And, but the bottom line is he said, you're too sick to get the surgery. And he had never denied anyone for it. Um, he was, he was first of all worried about my heart, but secondly, he was worried um, with all the narcotics that I was on. 
um, what the anesthesia would do to me, you know, what, like, would it even work? And then what do I do when I'm done? So I came home that day and like, I just like, I'm honestly, like, I just sat and cried. Like I thought I was done. Like I thought that was it. Um, there's nothing more I can do. And, but at the same time, you know, just watching, especially my father didn't really have time to fight. I mean, he got six weeks um, from his diagnosis and he had been sick before that. He was, you know, he was in pretty bad shape, but you know, Heather's mom fought so hard and so long to stay around for the kids. And I'm thinking, I can't, like, I I had to at least try something. Um, So the first thing I did was I actually started logging my food, which is really weird for me. I started a journal totally out of character for me. Um, and I just started writing down, you know, I, and I the first thing I put in that book was this is the first day of the rest of your life. And all I did was start like, like, you know, being more aware of calories. I had no clue how many calories I should eat. I know when we went back and figured out some of my meals, I was eating 10,000 calories most days. Um, but I had no clue what I was doing. So I just started writing stuff down, but I think there was another one of the dominoes that I was at least conscious of what I was putting in my mouth. You know, I I actually thought about it for the first time. Um, so I did like, I swapped out the red meat. Um, so yeah, here's for your vegan podcast. Um, (laughs) So we processed all our own meat. I grew up on a farm. We were huge hunters, you know, four freezers. Um, you know, most weekends I'd have my smokers going, it was nothing for us to put 300 pounds of sausage away, you know, in a weekend sometimes. Um, so I started switching out all the red meats and the pork and all that for like Turkey and what I thought was healthy. Um, I went to like a low fat cheese instead of a, like extra sharp cheddar in at 400 pounds, like the scale started moving. Like it doesn't take much to move the scale. Um, but I still felt like crap. So long story short, um, I'm sitting on the couch one night coming through Netflix and I see this title fat, sick and nearly dead. And I'm like, wow, this sounds like me, you know, it was describing me. And I, like, I had no clue what the film was. Like I had no clue at all. And I turned it on and I started watching it. It's super, like, I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It's super, it's, it's awesome. So Joe Cross comes over from Australia to the U S he spends 60 days here consuming nothing but fruit and vegetable juice out of his juicer. Um, in the back of his car. It's super inspirational. He meets a, bunch of really cool people along the way but at the end of it um he loses like almost 60 pounds gets off a bunch of medicine and cures himself from an autoimmune disease and it was so inspiring that by the time the credits rolled i had already ordered a hamilton beach juicer um on amazon like before it was even over um and the first of the year was coming up And again, like, I still didn't know what I was doing. Like, I just, like, I tell people in my presentations, if Joe Cross would have been putting raccoon poop in that thing, that I would be eating raccoon poop today because I didn't care what he was doing. Like, I wanted what he had. And it didn't matter how he got it. That's what I wanted. Um, So January 1st was coming up. It'll be six years, six years ago, this January. And... Um, the last thing that I ate at 1159, 
Um, I don't know, you guys, I don't know if you have this in Australia, but we have this stuff called pickled herring. I've heard of it on ads, but I've never had it, no. (laughs) Yeah, don't. (laughs) So it's it's raw fish, right, and it's pickled, and it's disgusting, but it's supposed to be this good luck thing. And so that was the last piece of meat that I ever ate was pickled herring, and I I didn't plan on that. Um, But I I started a juice fast. My goal was to do 30 days, and um, so the first couple days were terrible. I mean, I was so hungry. I was so miserable. I just wanted to, like, I just wanted to go to bed. Just leave me alone. Um, but I, and I have no idea, like, what made me stay in it because it was brutal um, to go from kind of eating, you know, like, I, I, I was watching what I ate, but I was still eating garbage. Um, I was kind of more or less doing like a like a keto kind of thing, you know. I was watching the carbs, but eating a lot of other, you know, really high fat foods. So now all of a sudden, I start drinking juice. Um, but I think that was another domino because what it did, like the first time I filled up my juicer, um, I got a little bag of vegetables and I put it in the juicer. And I don't know if you've ever made juice before, but. Um, this nice bag of vegetables gave me a, about like three spoonfuls of juice. And I'm like, what are we going to do? Um, but I think that was another domino because I had to go buy vegetables. And I'd never done that before. Um, you couldn't get them at a gas station. We got everything from like the freezer section. So like Totina's pizza rolls, you know, frozen pretzels. Like this is the stuff that we ate, the frozen burritos. So... If anything, it showed me to go, you know, and I would go to a restaurant and be like, where do you guys get those big carrots from? And they tell me they're wholesalers. So I would go into the city, buy like a 50 pound bale of carrots. Um, And so we learned, you know, and like it was kind of cool because, you know, I was getting excited when I find kale on sale, you know, it's like and I'm in a store, which I, you know, I never will be in a store shopping. So. Anyways, by the third and fourth day, I started, you know, the hunger kind of subsided. Um, And by the fifth day, like, I told this story probably 200 times. And I still get goosebumps when I tell the fifth day. Like, I woke up in the morning in the same place that I fell asleep. And it was like, I'm going to start crying now. And I've told this so many times, not even funny. But it was like, it was like the most amazing thing that had happened to me in forever. Like to actually, I slept through the night. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, you know, it was amazing. And then like day seven comes along and, you know, I'm starting to wake up earlier. I start feeling better. I don't have that fog all the time. Um, I started forgetting to take my medicine. And, the, you know, the, the more I went on, you know, I started losing the inflammation. The weight just like fell off me. Um, but I think more inflammation than anything. But, you know, I also knew in the back of my head that I can't do this the rest of my life. Like, this is really cool. But what do I do now? I had no clue. Like, I really wasn't into Facebook and stuff. Um, so I had nothing but Joe Cross's film. But because I watched that in Netflix, um, Forks Over Knives popped up in my queue. And I tell people that Forks Over Knives didn't just save my life. It gave me a completely new one. Um, because, you know, after watching that, I started, you know, I think I was I was following Joel Cross just because I wanted, you know, to lose the weight fast and stuff. But after I started seeing the science behind it, I was I, I remember being done with that film. I was so mad when I was done with it because I just buried my two favorite people on the planet. And then you hear, you hear you got Dr. 
uh, Campbell turning cancer on and off, like with the same things that they ate their whole life. And I was so angry. Um, but at any rate, it was basically just taking what I was putting in the juicer and eating it along with adding, you know, whole grains and beans. Um, yeah. And off I went onto this thing and, you know, the, the better I felt from the food, the more educated I want to get. And, you know, the more I started looking for anti-inflammatories, well, you know, ginger and almonds and cherries, and this is all stuff that, that will have the same effects as my indomethacin and all this really hard, you know, um, anti-inflammatories I was on. So I just started eating it with like my oatmeal and I was really targeting like food as medicine. And I didn't really know it at the time. Um, but you know, those dominoes just kept falling and the more I'd learn, you know, the better I wanted to get at it. Um, damn, and life was getting super good, you know? That is so amazing. Ah, uh, Tim, like it's just such a, I don't think we've ever had a guest like on the show that that has been like 400 pounds is, is, big um and then and then to have the other the the, con, the the pain and all of that together and then and the loss at the same time i can't imagine the relief that you would have felt once you started to feel better you know like that and even for your wife as well to start seeing you feel better like how did that change everything it it well it did change <laughs> everything and it it's weird because like i feel like one day i woke up at 400 pounds in an addict but at the same time I, it feels almost the same way now like i don't remember myself being that big now i kind of don't even remember it's not that i don't remember i think it happened like it's just who i am now and like it, it's still weird like even when i look at some of my before pictures um i'm like i don't remember being that big but you know i was <laughs> um but the big the big thing that happened for me that was not supposed to happen um, I don't believe in coincidence, but I look back and now, like now that I'm on the other side, I can look back and like gather information and I see what happened all along the way. Um, and I kind of stumbled. I had no clue what I was doing. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like when I was making Joe Cross's Mean Green, I would do it with a giant dip of Copenhagen tobacco in my lip because I can remember loving the taste of Mean Green. And chewing tobacco in the same taste. It was, <laughs> it, but but I started thinking. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm juicing kale, and I'm chewing tobacco. Like something's got to go. So uh, chewing tobacco for 27 years. I woke up one day and I told my wife. I said, Hey, I'm gonna quit chewing on Thursday. And she's like, Okay. And uh, Thursday, I or actually Wednesday night, I went to um, a little store. And I bought my last tin of tobacco and I shook the cashier's hand and I said, thank you. You just sold me my last tin. And um, at midnight, I never picked and I never craved it. It's just because I knew that like I had to pick one. I either had to be healthy or not. So it wasn't like a big deal. And like that kind of stuff, I can see um, the food that I was eating was very anti-inflammatory. Like if you like forget plant based, forget vegan. Go do a search for anti-inflammatory diet and you will find it. It's all whole plants that are the best for it. And as the inflammation started leaving my body, um, you know, my two biggest things with the EDS are inflammation and atrophy. 
And what happens is when something hurts, it's human nature to avoid that pain. So you stop using that range of motion that hurts. And before you know it, you're not moving at all. So like my knees hardly bent. Um, my hips will pop out a lot, like like when I roll. Um, but I had learned to just kind of adapt and almost walk like straight legged. But um, the, the short of the story is, as I ate an anti-inflammatory diet, I also started moving, which they told me not to. They literally told me, you know, your joints are on borrowed time. Like, don't use them unless you have to. Um, but my wife, one day, she asked me to go for a walk. And, you know, that walk was supposed to be a mile and a half. And I kind of I kind of make a joke out of it. I asked her what was wrong with the vehicle that we had to walk. Like, who walks? And we went for a walk. Um, and I didn't make I didn't make it to where we were supposed to go. I had to sit down on a rock and they had to get a car and come pick me up. And but something inside me wanted to go back and finish that walk, you know. So I did. I healed up and then I went back. And, um, you know, the more I started walking, I started doing a little bit more um, every time I went out. And then I got a pair of hiking boots. I started hiking and I wasn't supposed to be walking on uneven ground. Um, I got hurt a lot, you know, I still, I still get hurt a lot, but that one, uh, three quarter mile walk, um, has just, it's been, went crazy. Cause from there, um, I asked Heather to do a 5k. So we finished our first, in fact, that finish line, we crossed that 5k. Um, we got so emotional that people thought like we got some tragic news. It, it was like, now we look, it's a 5k, but it was like the biggest deal in my life. You know, it was huge. Um, and then um, my buddy came back from the mountains. He was climbing mountains and he showed me a picture from the summit. And I told him, in fact, it was that same friend that asked me where this all was going to end. Um, I saw a picture of him on top of a mountain and I said, I want to climb a mountain. And it was like a joke kind of to people, I think. Um, I said, I want to be up on top of a mountain next year. And I couldn't even hardly walk up five stairs. And part of it was the braces that I was in, um, were, were they were immobilized my knees. So they literally locked my knees up so I couldn't bend them. And so I went to the doctor and I'm like, I want to climb a mountain. Can we get braces that will actually let me bend? Um, so they cast my legs and sent them off to get custom braces um, that could bend. And they had like little slots where they could adjust them how much. So a little, you know, they would bend them like every 30 days, they would put a little more bend in them. But I just started doing stairs and, you know, 10 stairs turned into 15, turned into 20. And every day after work, I'd go up and down stairs and I'd count them. And then like within weeks, you know, I was doing 100 and then 200. And it got to the point where I just went by time. You know, I would just climb stairs for an hour. Um, so a year, well, actually... 11 and a half months um, after I made the commitment to go climb, um, we drove to, it's about six and a half hour drive to the mountain. Um, I think it's a 40, 4,600 feet in the air. And we started off really early because I was worried about daylight and I made it probably about halfway up and I just, I couldn't do it. So had to bail, got back in the car, came home. I was really upset, but we had another window of weather and two weeks later, I went back and I was able to summit that mountain. And that was another one of those dominoes that kind of tipped, you know, up there. I scratched my braces all up. I fell all over the place. But 
it just showed me that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I could do physically active stuff and that they were wrong. So I'll fast forward, but you know, oh, five you got um, me all and then, crying. <laughs> sorry. No, it's just so good to hear. I'm so happy for you. It's wonderful. Yeah. And so like, like every time, you know, we ran the 5K, then I asked Heather if she wanted to do a 10K, and she said no, but we ended up doing the 10K together. And then um, I wanted to run a half marathon. Wow. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. That's that's your deal. And, <laughs> On my nightstand, I had my handicapped parking pass that was there. And, like, I kept that with me. Like, that was, like, my safety blanket. Yeah. And um, But one day, we were switching cars, and I just laid it on my nightstand upstairs, and I never touched it. And I noticed that it expired in September. Um, I forget the year, but it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was 2014 that pass expired. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to legally park in a handicapped spot while I run my first half marathon? So I punched a hole in that pass and um, I tied it around my waist and I had a picture of my dad and her mom and my family. And I tied that thing around my waist and I did my first uh, half marathon with that thing. Um, and it was a super, super cool day. Another one of those dominoes tipped, you know. Um, I wasn't supposed to be out there. Oh, wow. So how long was this after you'd watched the Fat Sick and Nearly Dead? Like how, what was the time frame? Well, we could go back, we could backtrack. So 2012, it was pro- like, like um, two years wow. maybe. Yeah, two, two years, years from like wheelchair to half marathon. Wow. Which is just... It's, and then people wonder why all I do is talk about gratitude, right? Yeah, <laughs> wow. But yeah, from there, um, I started getting into the cycling. Um, and I found out they do these 100-mile bike races. So um, I bought a bike. And eight weeks later, I did my first 100-miler. And that was super cool because my sister has multiple sclerosis. So I started riding for the MS Society. Um, and actually, I've been doing some speaking for them, too, which is super cool. And so, yeah, so then I got into the biking and then um, I ran a marathon and then I, Heather and I ran an ultra marathon. Um, that one was 32 miles through the trails. Um, and since then, um, you know, I've done half Ironman. I just did half Ironman Placid um, a couple months ago. But the coolest thing is that walk that I told you about where all this thing started. Um, my son and my daughter came on that walk with us and um you know they're older now so they were kind of younger but you know now my son's 25 and my daughter's uh 21 and the coolest thing like we got back together to to be on a trail again and this time it they were pacing me for my first 50 mile ultra marathon and yeah like they they each took six mile like increments so we got to walk together and run together on a trail and it was cool to go from that three quarters of a mile with them to a full 50 mile race which was a big deal for me that's a i can't i i can't imagine because i imagine that most of their life you were so unable to play with them and so then for the to be able to to be able to do that 
that type mm. of physical fit with them. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah, and I, I, you know, it's you say that and like like things that people don't realize. Like my daughter played basketball, and I can't tell you how many times the ball would roll by me, and like every other parent would just bend over, pick it up, and throw it in, and I couldn't, I couldn't get the ball, and I couldn't even kick at the ball. So I just have to watch it, and I felt like such a loser. Um, but yeah, you're right, you know, because every time, you know, I'd go to the mountains and I'd come home like a little kid. Like I, you guys got to see this, and you know, to this day, that's where we just spent our 25th. But to this day, we spend so much time in the Adirondacks because it just it has become like our second home. Because I just I feel like a kid up there, you know, playing on the hills. So yeah, definitely, you know. Oh, that is that is huge. It must be huge for your kids. I bet they're just so absolutely overwhelmed for you. Yeah, I talk to them a lot about it, and I think that it's just it's just who Dad was. You know, that's just you know they knew we couldn't go anywhere really. Like we couldn't drive over twenty minutes because I would get so nauseous from all the medicines. So it really put a hamper on us doing stuff as a family. But I think, you know, I just was sick and they, and they just, they, that's how they always knew me, you know. So I don't think it really bothered them. They, I don't think they were like, they felt like they missed out on yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids are pretty resilient and amazing like that. What they just take is what, that's what, that's what, how things are. But I, met, I bet that they're so happy to see you the way you are now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So in those early days when you made this big switch, like with your with your family, how was it for people who were listening? I I, I know I know lot you know lots of people in my life and myself. You know I was um, obese and lots of you know seventy percent of the population of our my country and your country are overweight or obese. And people who were listening who were thinking, I think a lot of people that I speak to who are struggling with their weight, they you know. The thought of changing their whole family's eating or cooking and preparing in their family is something that they just think too hard basket. You know, my kids eat meat and my partner eats meat and they're not going to want to change and it's all too hard to make a switch like this. Like, how was it for you in that transition in those early days? I know that you were very, very unwell at the time, so... But how did it work with the rest of your family? Was it hard with them eating these foods that you really used to love and now are trying to avoid? Yeah, so it's really weird. I'm tell it backwards because <laughs> my wife, um, she's actually lost you're gonna have to convert all these for me, but she's actually lost ninety pounds. But she did not switch with me. Like she she didn't transition with me. Um this was, you know, because I did the juice fast and then, you know, as I got into the plants thing, they would still do their pizza and I think they were more conscious. And I think um, when we did go out, like when we did go out for dinner, they would, we would go somewhere that had like pizza, wings, and then a salad bar. So I would eat off the salad bar. And then it got to the point where we were eating at home. Cause there was really nothing for me eating out of the salad bar. Um, so like I would do like cubed up sweet potatoes, something really simple, roast them. And then I pull them out of the oven and as they're eating their pizza, um, they'd be swiping my sweet potato cubes and they're really good actually. <laughs> and so, you know, they, they kind of would eat my food and then 
Um, then once, because people don't like to hear this, like, and I don't want to like turn anyone off, but this is the bottom line. This is like truth. You cannot eat healthy food if you don't learn how to make it at home. Like that, like you can't do it. Like, um, I shouldn't say you can't. It's almost impossible, you know, not to be able to prepare your own food. Um, you can't find really good food at restaurants. It's a very rare occasion where you get like an oil-free dish. Um, and so if you cook at home, you know exactly what's in it and you have total control over what you're eating. So like for me, food was really simple at first. Um, and then it got a little bit more fancy where I could make like I would do an oil-free stir fry and rice. And then um, like Heather would make up like maybe pieces of chicken to add to theirs. And then I think it got to the point, like, what's the point? Like, it's good on its own. Like, why are we bothering with this? And so that kind of just phased out. And then um, Heather kind of has her own story to where, um, you know, her mom, obviously, you know, being terminal and stuff, we spent a lot of time in the hospitals. Um, Heather was diagnosed with a fibroid the size of a grapefruit. And so um she was kind of hiding it like she didn't she went to in fact the same doctor that denied me for bariatric surgery was giving her her um yearly exam and he says well you have a huge fibroid here and they were worried about it pushing on her um her ureter um to cut off blood supply to her kidney so he said you really need to get this thing out so um she ended up getting a complete hysterectomy and when she was in the hospital, like it just brought this flood, you know, with the IVs and the nurses and it just brought this flood of like emotions and memory back. And when she left the hospital, she looked at me, she was bawling and she said, I don't care what I do. I don't care what happens to me, but I'm going 100 percent plant based because if there's anything I can do to stay healthy that I have control over, I'm going to do that. And it was like a switch. Now she had this switch flip, like hundred percent. You yeah, know, I yeah. would come home, I would eat something. She's like, "Do you know that has salt?" <laughs> <laughs> she, she went a little more crazy than me, you know, um, sometimes. But and she flipped that switch, and she just took off. And you know, to see to see a woman, you know, her whole life she had never been. I mean, she went for walks with the kids and that, but. Um, she is a running machine, right? Like she is so fat. Like I can't even, I can't even think about like training with her anymore because, and she's competitive. She like wins. Like she, we go to races and I finish and she's, you know, we got to wait because she's always got to get her awards for placing either in her age group and yeah. And she just loves it. Like her whole life has changed too. So it's Whoa. super cool. Yeah. So she's super fast now. Yes, she is. Wow. Yeah, and I'll show you her picture too. Her yeah, before please, and after. please. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, what was she? Uh, my, my, my women might not like it <laughs> to say, but like she was not, lost ninety pounds, and so now she's obviously super fit. Yeah, I don't know. I she lost ninety pounds. She I, she didn't quite make two hundred pounds, but yeah. she's very she's very little now and very oh. light. Wow. And very fast. <laughs> oh wow! And so, how much have you lost now in total? Well, so I call it 200. I don't like, that's another one of the things like we were talking about with the food getting boring. Like I don't, it doesn't matter how much I lost. And yeah, you know, for yeah, your listeners, yeah. I think that's something really important that whether you have 400 pounds to lose, 100 pounds to lose, 10 pounds to lose, or 
no pounds to lose. Yeah. When you transition to a whole food plant-based lifestyle, the process is 100% identical for people that have weight to lose, people that want to get healthy, or people that have 600 pounds to lose. It's the same exact process. It's the same formula. There's nothing different about it. Um, and I think that's exciting. I think that's like really, really exciting um, that it's all the same. And, you know, the idea is when you get healthy, you know, your body will figure out its its ideal weight. And I think that's super encouraging. It is. Know? It is. I think Because the is. only factor is time for your body to catch up where it needs to be. And so it doesn't matter how long your road is. You're doing the same thing anyways. Um, even if you don't have weight to lose, a year from now, you're going to eat the same way. And um, it's it's a cool thing. And you know, I, I probably should have started out with that because um, I got I got out of the habit of doing it. But, you know, I do these, you know, talks and presentations and interviews. And I feel like I do so many. But I do them for one reason, because I know what happened to me is out there for anyone. There, there's honestly nothing magical about this. Um, you know, if I had willpower, I would have never been 400 pounds. I would have never been an addict and I would have never been an alcoholic. This is not about willpower. This is 100% about getting educated on healthy food and making good choices. And it's not this thing like that you have 100 pounds to lose. Like like for your listeners, too, I already keep doing this, but your listeners need to know that it's that next plate that matters. Like it's not the 100 pounds. It's not the 10 pounds. It's that next plate of food that they consume that they need to focus on. And the future will take care of itself. But you don't have control over that anyways. Just worry about your next choice. Yes. Sorry now, to start preaching. No, no, no. It's good. And I I just, it's comical to me because every episode I mention, I'm going to mention him again. Hi, Andrew, if you're listening. But Andrew Taylor, he's a spud fit. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Oh, he's my buddy. Yeah. He's so great. But anyway, yeah, he talks about like it wasn't. You know, he just wanted to eat potatoes. You know, it wasn't about, you know, he doesn't weigh himself now. He doesn't care. It's just about making sure that each meal he chose potatoes, you know, or, you know, what a whole plant food, but for anyone who yeah. doesn't want to do just potatoes. But I think that that's the thing that we get so caught up on the numbers. Now, society loves us to think about the weight loss goal, the 200 pounds. And, you know, people in, you know, in the show notes, I'll talk about that you lost 200 pounds. But the thing is, it isn't about that at the end of the day because it will, it will, you'll find homeostasis if you eat this, eat this way. You'll find your perfect, the perfect weight existence for yourself if you eat this way. But I think it's, it, it, it's, it's motivating people who are, who are thinking about this lifestyle to hear those figures. But at the end of the day, there's so much more as well, so many, so many more positives to this way of eating than. Then the number on the scales as well, you know, like the, the energy, the quality of life, the digestive ease, you know, there's so many, yeah. there's so many positives that the number on the scales, like for me, the number on the scales, obviously it's still, you know, I still, do, I still want to have a healthy, be a healthy weight, but the number on the scales isn't as important to me as not having symptoms of multiple sclerosis. It isn't as important right, to me right. as not being constipated and having fibromyalgia and being in constant pain all the time. You know, like it's, I'm just happy to not have those symptoms <laughs> if, that, if that, that would be enough. Yeah. And it, it's sometimes it's not what you lose. It's what you gain too, because I have gained so much. Like it's crazy. Like, and I, like 
the weight, like it doesn't even seem like a thing anymore. It's, it's what I've gained. And, you know, I, I show people in my presentations, like, um, just my health insurance in 2009, just my pharmaceuticals cost the health insurance company $23,000, right? And the last two years combined, my pharmaceuticals cost $122. It's for vitamin B that I don't even need to get. Like, I just feel guilty by not getting them through this really expensive insurance. Um, but when you think about, like, economically, there was all just, well, I didn't need any of that stuff. And, that, and that's not procedures. That's just medicine. Um, I, you know, I was on almost 20 prescriptions a month. Like, and then, like, here I am, like a young guy, and I have those, you know, the strips with Monday, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday. And I had two of them because I couldn't fit everything in one pill container. It's, it's crazy. Um, that's the kind of stuff that really matters, you know, and, and knowing that I'm going to be around for my kids and, you know, knowing that. I'm not going to a nursing home because I'm like really healthy and really fit. And that, that's the kind of stuff that really matters to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but obviously this, this way of what, what, what would be a typical day in your life look like now compared to the day in, of your life that was <laughs> six years ago? How's it, how's things changed in your life now? Well, I think we already kind of went yeah. over the, the before, um, before was all of, it, it's funny that now you just made me think of that and I've never really thought about before it's almost complete opposite because, you know, I don't know, eight years ago, six, seven years ago, um, my whole life was about how to escape reality and kind of just get to the next day. Um, where now the biggest thing that's completely different is like, I can't get enough day. Like I, I get up before five, like I'm out of bed. Like I cannot, I literally can't wait for my feet to hit the floor. Um, I can't stand going to sleep, you know? Um, and that in itself is the biggest change. Like I, I enjoy life so much. Like I appreciate it. I love life, you know? And that to me is priceless. That is, that's everything. It's so, it's so wonderful to hear and to, to know that you get that now, Tim. Thank you so much. I'm so Thanks for sharing your story. But you were probably talking about food. No, no, no. I think that's per that's perfect. Well, we're going to go on to your three biggest tips for anyone who's listening, who's heard your story and is thinking about where to start, what what they can do from, you know, being feeling if if they're feeling super sick and unhealthy right now and wanting to lose weight and wanting to just be out of pain but not knowing where to begin, where what would be your three biggest pieces of advice for that, those people listening okay three pieces of advice and i'll leave the most important one for last i'm totally winging this because yeah, um, no. we didn't really have time i to know this, okay? <laughs> so, so sorry. Um, the first one is to understand if you are trying to go plant-based that everyone enjoys plant-based food um, I make a joke out of this. Like, I'll take apples because I live in New York and, like, we have the best honey crisp apples in the world. Um, but I'll take an apple to work because we buy a lot of apples. And I'll give it to someone and I'll take a bite of it. And I'm like, dude, that's a vegan apple. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I knew there was something wrong with it. And it's a joke. Um, but it makes the point that we like food. We're humans. So we like plant food. Like, that's what we're supposed to like. Um, so my point is, Find foods that you like currently 
And um, if you're like a potato and green bean and roast beef person, you know, have the potato green bean, ditch the roast beef and bring more potatoes in. So find foods that you love and don't overcomplicate it. Um, it's okay to eat the same thing a couple of days in a row. And we do this anyways. Um, when people say, I can't do that, there's not enough variety. Um, my variety was pizza, wings, and subs, hamburgers. You know, that's it. So find stuff that you already like and just make it bigger. And the second thing, so so that's the first one. Find yes. stuff that you already like and, um, you know, make it bigger. Don't get fancy. Keep it simple. The second thing, I kind of already mentioned this, but, you know, you should have goals. But at the same time, you know, you worry about your choices and, and understand that this whole thing is about choices and it's about choosing, you know, the good. Um, and, you know, sometimes like for me, I look back again and I see this like it looks like it's this carefully orchestrated path that I was on. But I kind of bounced around a lot. But the big thing for me is instead of thinking of it as eliminating bad stuff out of your life, um, I think what happened by accident like my life got so filled with good stuff, it kind of crowded out the bad stuff. So that's another way to think about it. Um, when you sit down, if you eat, you know, I, I know the measurements are different, but if you eat a pound of cauliflower, you know, before you eat your meal, um, your, your stomach's going to be full and you're not going to want all the garbage food. So if you fill your stomach with good stuff, it kind of crowds out the bad. And it's the same with our thoughts and stuff, too. Um, if you're constantly sitting watching all the bitterness and stuff on Facebook, um, it's kind of hard to be grateful. So if you can fill your mind with like gratitude and, and really good positive stuff, it kind of crowds out the bad. So that's my second one. I think that's a great one. And I, I, our family, every night at dinner time, we do a gratitude. We go around and share three things that we're grateful for that day. And it, it's a really nice way. If you don't do this, I recommend giving it a shot. Just going around, what are you grateful for today? My two-year-old says like his, cha his chainsaw got for his birthday every single day. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's a nice way to just go around rather than saying, oh, you know, my boss was a jerk or this happened or this happened today, right. la, 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 going around and saying all that. And often we end up finding, we, we don't stop at three. We just keep going. We're like the sunshine today or, you know, we got this today. Yeah. And it's just a nice way to end each day going around and talking about the awesome, great, wonderful things that happened today. Yeah. And I think, I think just by recognizing them, our day is better. Because everyone has something to be grateful for. Everyone, no matter what. Yeah. You know? I worked in, you were talking and it's reminding me, I used to work as a carer for people with disabilities and they'd be have you know, vision impairments or they wouldn't be able to use their legs or they wouldn't be able to eat by themselves. And my brother you know, obviously couldn't walk and in the end he could had to eat with a peg, um, a stomach, through his stomach and he couldn't yeah. go to toilet. And it really helped me to realize, you know, if you can use your eyes, you have something to be grateful for. You know, if you can see your loved ones, you know, if you can taste food, for he couldn't taste food at all in the end, you know, like right. there are so many things. And I think that we think, oh, a lot of times when I'm working with my, with my clients, I ask like, what happened, what's new and good this, this fortnight? And people get stuck. They got, they've, got not, they've got no answers. And you're thinking, well, it's, it, it can be good that you had no pain getting out of bed. You know, it can be good that you right. got a good night's sleep. There are so, if we reframe things, we can find so many things to be grateful for in our life if we just take a moment to think about 
I've got hands. Some people don't have hands right. to pick up stuff, you know. So it's 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 a wonderful just to take that time, like you say, to think about how lucky you are. You are so lucky to sleep through that night in that sleep for that night that time without any liter of vodka, you know. Like that's a huge deal when you've been having to have twenty painkillers and a bottle of vodka to get to bed at night to finally yeah. be sleeping through the night. It's just it seems like a small thing, but it can be such a huge thing. Yeah, and I think it's a habit, too, to look for stuff that's right instead of always focus. Because we tend to do that. We focus on everything that's wrong or everything that's going wrong because that's the stuff that we make important. But if we start focusing on everything that's right, it really does shift your whole life. It really does. And it's just a habit of always searching for that good stuff, you know. But the third thing and the last thing, this sounds kind of weird, but it's I think this is really important. Um, the biggest thing, um, people, people always search for the why and stuff. Um, and it's cool. And, you know, the why you're doing this or why you want to get healthy. Um, it can change. And I think that's important to realize that our why can change. My why was to live longer, um, you know, maybe make it through a year. And obviously my why has changed a lot Mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the biggest thing, it's going to sound a little like corny, but you have to be able to look in the mirror and love yourself. Like, I know that sounds so weird. Um, but for me, like, I didn't think I was worth getting better for. Like, I didn't think I was worth, you know, putting the time in to be healthy. And, you know, you have, that's something, like, I, this, this sounds bad. But even if you got to fake it until you make it, you got to look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're worth fighting for. Um, And even if you don't feel like it some days, you need to do that because in time, when you tell yourself that enough, um, you start believing it and you should believe it. And um, that has to do with a lot of goal setting. I think I think my whole life I had failed so many times. It just was ingrained in my head that I'm going to fail. But when you start setting a goal that next plate is healthy and you get that goal, it kind of gives you a boost on. I won, you know, I did it. I accomplished this plate of food. And then you string two together and three together. And, you know, the same thing that kind of tore you down to think you're a failure, um, it can reverse itself to say, you know what, I've been successful on five plates of food in a row and build on that success. But the big thing is um, knowing that you're worth it because everyone matters. Yes. I love that one. No one said that. So I like that I let you wing it and you got three that, uh, well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) three really, they were great. They were great tips. And I think that that loving yourself one is so important. And I think, I think that that last one's probably the hardest one for most people because we're just not taught to (laughs) as a society. And it sounds weird, even like doing this on like a plant-based podcast, like, is like, where does that fit in? But I think that is so important because a lot of times why we do stuff changes. And like I say, you know, I mean, if like if I'm trying to change for my wife and then we're having a bad day and we're at each other's throats, um, I'm going to lose that where, um, you know, my journey started with other people. But it still comes back to I got to take care of myself. And for me, like for me, like this goes a little bit deeper than what we're talking about, but. For me to be a good husband and a good father, I have to be the best version of myself. In order to do that, I have to learn how to love myself. And that, like that, it's still a work in progress for me. 
Like I love self-deprecating. I love, you know, being hard on myself. Um, but at the same time, that bleeds over into everyone else. So, you know, they say that if you can't love yourself, well, how can you love other people? And it's weird. Like, it's weird. Like, I have a 500-pound deadlift, and I'm talking about loving myself on a show. Um, but I think it's that valuable. Um, it's that important. Because, you know, that at the end of the day, that's what matters. And I think it's... I agree. But I think that it's important on this show, because I think for a lot of people... Wanting to make the switch, food is kind of, it is, unfortunately, it is secondary because until you get your head and that self-love in the right, you have to be, you need to get yourself ready to be willing to commit to a whole food plant-based diet. In, in a lot of cases, a lot of people have to, like you're not, you're, not, you're, not that everyone's like your wife and makes the switch. I was a slow like you with lots of different things that kind of then pushed me led me down down this path you still have to take steps that increase that self-worth and increase to keep the momentum moving forward if that makes sense yeah yeah because when i mean when you want to quit when you want to like i i I always tell people that you know adopting a whole food plant-based diet is the most simple thing that you can do is there's nothing complicated about it but that doesn't make it easy And because there's like terrible food all around you. And I think that's where it becomes, you know, in time you get habits and like, I'll look at, you know, ice cream and say, that's not even, it doesn't even seem like food to me anymore. Um, But that's taken a long time to get there. But in the meantime, you have to look at that food that you're tempted by and say, you know, I care about myself enough that I know the damages that's going to do. And I don't want to do that to myself. And that was a hard place for me to get to, you know, I I mean, obviously when you're, when you're basically trying to OD every night, um, it's, it's a hard place to get to, to realize that what I put in my body is going to, it's either going to fuel me or poison me. And if I don't love myself, I don't care how much I'm like, I knew what I was doing to myself when I was drinking all that. I knew when my kidneys were shutting down what was happening, but I didn't care. So I had to fix that caring part before the other stuff came, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So for someone who's listening, who's like, well, I'm at the place where I don't like myself and I I am wanting to just make it through the day, Um, I used to just love sleeping because I just loved that the day would go faster and I would, that's when I was at my sickest, I used to sleep all the time and I was tired and I was in pain, but I used to sleep because... I just wanted life to be over quicker, you know, like the day to be over quicker and just on to the next. Um, And for people who are in that place that that you were in, what would be something that you would think is a great step for them to increase that self-love? Do you have any... Where's the starting point for that, Tim? (laughs) So that's a tough one. And again, this sounds stupid, but like... Sometimes you have to lie. Like I, this stuff sounds so like this stuff sounds so trivial, um, and like no one told me to do this. So I like I don't know. But I started writing stuff down, and I think a lot of times when you write thoughts down, um, they kind of they kind of matter more. And you know maybe maybe the trick is to write you know something good about yourself. And if you can't say it in the mirror, which like I feel I feel like everyone like I hated seeing myself in the mirror. Like that was my biggest thing. Like I hated 
um, I'll send you a couple pictures. And like my face was so swollen, my eyes were almost shut. And I hated that look. I hated those red eyes. It just They were hopeless. Um, and so for me to look at the mirror and say, you know, like, like I talked about that building on success, like you did good yesterday. Like talk to yourself. Like, it sounds so stupid, but talk to yourself. You know, if you, if you have the littlest, tiniest success, focus on that. And, you know, it's okay to tell yourself, Hey, you did good kid. You know, like, like, I know it sounds stupid, but, um, in time you reinforce that positive and you'll flip stuff around. Another thing is breaking out of your routine like routines suck like we we're human and we all want to be in routines and run on autopilot do something that scares you a little bit do something with go just randomly go up to a person and introduce yourself and say hello just again it sounds stupid but the more you can bust up that routine and do stuff that is out of character for you um that out of character stuff like it changes like it changes who you are and do fun stuff you know, reward yourself instead of with the food and the checkouts, you know, go for a hike somewhere you've never been. Like, and we made a point um, every weekend to go visit a new place that we had never been before. Even if it meant like a half a mile trail in the woods, we made a point to do that every single weekend. Just basically bust up your routine. Yes. Um, just, I'm, I'm going to last, but I know you're in a rush, but I am, when you were saying that, I just recently typed into Google because I was looking in the mirror saying nice things to myself. I thought, this is a thing. This is a real <laughs> thing. So it's funny that you said it. So I Googled mirror work and Louise Hayes, if you're listening, not, not Louise Hayes won't be listening, but she is amazing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but she has a free ebook called Mirror Work, which is just that, 21 days of saying nice things to yourself. And I found it in there and I, and I downloaded it because it was free into my Kindle and I've been reading it. So if you're at home, type in Louise Hayes Mirror Workbook and then she talks all about talking to yourself in the mirror and saying nice things to yourself for 21 days so that you build your build your self-love. So it's funny that you mentioned that and I just literally typed it <laughs> typed uh-huh. it into my thing like a day, two days, maybe a week ago when I was laying in bed miserable with my nose all bloody. I was thinking I'm miserable and unhappy right now. What's something that I so could get a mirror out, <laughs> get a mirror out, look at your horrible busted up face, <laughs> say nice things to yourself. Before we hang up, I just want you to tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you on social media, you know, what, how they can hear more from Tim Kaufman. So I have um, a website. Everything is fatmanrants.com. So <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. Um, I love I'm probably so the biggest much. on um, Facebook. I have a, a public page called fatmanrants.com and um so instagram too so i post a lot of what i eat every day a lot of recipes um i have an ebook a cookbook out um but people don't have to buy it on amazon it's like 2.99 on amazon but um if you send an email to fatmanrants at gmail.com with the word book in the subject line, it'll automatically kick you a free PDF of the cookbook. And the cool thing about the cookbook, um, it's all like four ingredient foods. It's super simple. It's no arrowroot powder and all this other stuff. It's really simple. It's a great way to get people going plant-based. Yeah, awesome. And then they can, if they want, shoot me a request on Facebook at Tim Kaufman. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I absolutely loved hearing your story today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for everything you do. It's so cool. Oh, no, thank you. I I loved hearing your story today. I hope everyone else loved it as much as me. I was cr- it was an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, that's totally fine. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on the show. It was so good to meet you and hear your story. I'll be thinking about it for a really long time. It was just an emotional roller coaster for me. And I'm sure for everyone who was listening. And thank you everyone for listening and supporting this podcast. If you haven't yet gone over and followed Fat Man Rants on social media, Facebook, Instagram, I'm sure Twitter, all those places, and checked out his website and bought his cookbook over at fatmanrants.com. Or I think he said you can also email him and put book in the subject line. And I think then you can get the book for to download um, for free. So that's another way of getting it. I think that's what he said, but you just might have to check. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing cookbook. I'm going to get mine as soon as I hang up from (laughs) recording this. And I can't wait to read all of his his recipe tips because I all, even though I make my own food, it's always fun to get new ideas. So I I love to, I'm, I'm a bit of a recipe book fiend I just love getting all of them and reading them and trying new things and getting new ideas because there's so many ways that you can make a whole food plant-based diet taste amazing and just be more interesting even though I end up just defaulting down to potatoes because I love them so much (laughs) but there's so many different ways you can make potatoes and so many different types of potatoes so that's still fun anyway but yes thank you so much for listening and Yeah, I will see you all next week. Thanks so much. Bye.